0: Today's scripture reading is John 6:52 through 53 and 60 through 71. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, "How can this man give us his flesh to eat?" So Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you." Skipping down to verse 60. And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Reese, very much for that. Uh, Again, I want to just take a moment just to pray, just for the hearing of God's word as we continue in worship together. So let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, We come to you in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit, asking simply but boldly that you would speak to us now. And so, Lord, what we are prone to not know or believe, would you break through in our ignorance, in our disbelief, in our active unbelief? Would you show us the beauty and the goodness of the glory of Jesus Christ in this word? And so would the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is, um, uh, this is a little just kind of insight into the Capel family. Um, we have, one of our favorite shows we like to watch is a show called Brain Games. I don't know if you guys ever watch Brain Games, but a very interesting show that kind of talks about various like social experiments and kind of the ways in which our brain works and is wired. And there is this one segment where they show these kind of hidden camera social experiments to see what people do in circumstances that we're not necessarily prepared for. And there's one I just I have to show you. So take a look. Just a minute clip. Just watch this for a second
2: to answer that question we set up a hidden camera experiment to see if this woman would stand up at the sound of this tone simply because everyone else is you might be thinking you'd never go along with this or would you just three beeps and without knowing why she's doing it, this woman is now conforming perfectly to the group. But what happens if we take the group away?
3: Elaine please
2: Okay, now she's alone, the crowd is gone, and nobody is watching her, except our hidden cameras. What do you think she'll do? She's now conforming to the rules of the group without them even being there.
1: Oh my gosh, that's, that's so fun, that's so fun. Now, uh, I mean, there, there are like so many others I could have shown, but that one was just so fascinating. Because again, we look at that, we kind of laugh, but like, what would we do in that moment? How would we respond with the social pressures of those around us? Because we'd like to think that we are more independent and kind of our own autonomous being, but we are so prone to being given to the pressures of going along with the group. And and, and this is true of all of us. Like you students, like peer pressure is not just something our students, you face in life. Like we are all given to want to give into the temptation to kind of be accepted. We, We want to, we don't want to be rejected. We want to fit in. That's true for all of us. And it was uniquely true in some ways the same phenomenon is applied to the disciples during this moment. that The gospel writer John records for us as they are at this kind of crossroads moment of asking the question, will we follow Jesus? Will we go with him when others are walking away? And so as we, as we turn to our text this morning, if you have your Bibles open, keep them open to John chapter six. But what we see here in this moment is Jesus giving the disciples an opportunity to follow him by giving them the sign of life in his word. So we've been in the gospel of John in this series that we're calling signs of life, looking at the various ways in which Jesus teaches us the type of king he is and the type of kingdom he is bringing And today we see him showing us who he is in the words that he gives us. And so if you have your Bibles open, keep them to John chapter 6. But as we peer into this interaction between Jesus and his disciples, the question that I want us to ask of ourselves is this, will we go with Jesus when others won't? Will we go with Jesus when others won't? When the temptation is to give in to the crowd and to fit in, will we go with Jesus when others won't? And so whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, um, I want us to consider the challenges and the costs that come with following Jesus because they are indeed costly. Because you don't, you don't need to know, you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to know that Jesus will offend you. Every follower of Jesus knows and understands what it means to wrestle with, to ask questions of the words of Jesus, myself included. And so, so if, you, if you are here today and you find it difficult to follow Jesus, or if you find his words implausible in some way, shape, or form, I hope you know that you're in good company because what we see in this interaction is that following Jesus, it's not easy It is not comfortable, and at times, it is not preferable to our own sensibilities and preferences and values, but after all of that, he is still the one with the words of eternal life, and so the question for us is, will we go with Jesus when others won't? So John chapter 6, what I want us to do, the first thing we see right away in this interaction, the first thing I want us to see in John's gospel here is that Jesus will offend us, Jesus will offend us. That is an unqualified statement. It is not just that he will offend unbelievers. Jesus will offend everyone, including his disciples, you and I, if we identify as followers of Jesus, Jesus will offend you. And we see that clearly in verses 60 through 61. And so we record these words, John records these words, when many of his disciples heard it, they said this, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, they said to them, do you take offense at this? Now the context, if you haven't been following in John, the context here throughout John chapter 6 in particular, like such a long chapter, but Jesus has said some things about himself that are rather offensive to the sensibilities of his disciples in the crowd, not the least of which is that he is the son of God, that he is greater than Moses, and that he invites his disciples to eat his body and drink his blood. So take your pick of which of those would be offensive to an early disciple in this time. And so, so they're hearing Jesus' words, and they don't know what to do with it. And so, like, Jesus seems to be a person who probably didn't read the classic book, Dale Carnegie, by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Like, I think Jesus in this moment is like, he's really offending people, right? Like, he's not trying to kind of build a consensus. He's not trying to improve his PR image amongst the crowd. Instead, he is saying things that actually drive away many people who have agreed to be his disciple. Jesus has not come to offer us palatable platitudes, nor to offer us an easily digestible discipleship. On the contrary, Jesus' words, his ways, and his work are still, and were then, and are still now, deeply challenging and offensive. And the reason I say offensive is because when you look at verse 60, when the disciples say in the crowd, This is a hard saying. That's not so much about how intellectually difficult uh, that, that Jesus' words are. That's not actually what, what, what the crowd is saying. It's actually that his words are personally difficult to receive, which is kind of verified in what Jesus says in verse 61. Do you take offense at this? So it's not just that Jesus is saying things that are perplexing and intellectually difficult, but rather things that are personally difficult to receive, and so, and so maybe, maybe you kind of even identify with that. Maybe you're not offended by the same things that the disciples were offended by. But we all have something about Jesus and his teachings that we take offense at or have reservation with. And so maybe it's his teaching on gender and sexuality that we find to be regressive and oppressive. Or maybe it's his teaching on radical generosity and what it means to steward our wealth. And that conflicts with our consumeristic culture in many ways. Or perhaps we don't like that he has come to make a new people from all ethnicities of the world because that sounds like wokeness or something. Or or maybe we just don't like the idea in general that Jesus calls us sinners and demands that we repent. We don't like the idea of somebody telling us that our authentic self is wrong and needs to be adjusted in some way. Whatever it is, Jesus will offend you. And if he has not offended you, frankly... If Jesus has not challenged you or offended you, then you're not doing it right. You're not following Jesus. I would actually question if you are following Jesus, if he has never not once challenged you or confronted you or offended you. And so here is my question for us to to bring this first century text into the 21st century. If Jesus does offend us full stop, here is my question for us. Where is Jesus challenging us? Where is Jesus challenging us? And I I ask that question intentionally, communally, but also individually. How and where is Jesus challenging us? If Jesus doesn't challenge us, then then I, I don't think we are clearly following him closely or listening to him closely. Because his words absolutely confront the ways in which we tend to think the good life should be lived. This is the predominant problem of the human condition. That from the beginning, we have basically fired God from having the job of of determining what is good and true, right and beautiful, and conversely, what is evil and unjust. And we have decided to define those things for ourselves, and it hasn't panned out all that well. And so, if Jesus is not challenging us, then I believe we are not following him closely. His words are often contrary to our ways. But maybe it's something a little different from Jesus. So maybe it's not just that he doesn't challenge you. Maybe it's that Jesus can't challenge you. In the first case, if Jesus doesn't challenge you, it means that you're not listening to him closely. You're not following him closely. But if Jesus can't challenge you, that's a way of saying, I am actually keeping Jesus at arm's length. I am determining what is acceptable and what I will follow and agree to in in, in accordance with Jesus' words. And so maybe it's not just that Jesus doesn't challenge you, it's that Jesus can't challenge you. You refuse to let him confront you and convict you. And so a Jesus that can't or doesn't challenge us is frankly the the Jesus of our post-Christian culture. We we live in a world essentially that is described by many people as a post-Christian culture, a culture that essentially sees Christianity as a helpful supplement to our lives or or as something that is, you know, nice that we can borrow from when it suits us. It is a buffet that we pick and choose from when it is convenient and, and, and aligns with our desires and preferences. And as a result, we find Christ and his gospel at best optional and at worst completely offensive to us. John Mark Comer uh, describes our post-Christian culture in this way in his outstanding book, Live No Lies. Listen to what he says. Post-Christian culture, so essentially a culture where Jesus can't or doesn't challenge us. Post-Christian culture is an attempt to move beyond the Christian vision while still retaining much of its scaffolding. I love that imagery. It's a reaction against Christianity. The West's rebellious teenager moment we're the stereotypical adolescent, forgive me teenagers for saying this, but we're, these aren't my words, his, but we're the stereotypical adolescent kicking against our parents and their authority, railing against all their flaws while still living in their house and eating all their food. That, that's the picture, that we, we like the idea of the kingdom of Jesus and the ethics that he brings and, and some of the ways in which he makes life better, but the idea of actually surrendering the totality of our lives to him as king is just unfathomable. It does not resonate with us. We like Jesus' kingdom, but we want it without him as the king. And so we should expect Jesus to offend us. We should expect him to confront us and to challenge us. But hear this, we should expect him to do so because he loves us. If we only see Jesus as only confronting, only offending, only challenging, we are not seeing the fullness of who he is. But the question still remains, where is Jesus challenging us? And if he isn't challenging us, then I don't think he's the one that we're following. So as, G, as John goes on, he shows us, as Jesus' followers, he shows us that we should absolutely expect for Jesus to offend us, but we should also anticipate with that offense a desire to want to walk away. And so, so there's, there's a difference between just being offended by Jesus, like, I don't like that, but I'm going to stay in the room. But but there can be a moment where we are so offended by Jesus that there is this urge within us that we will want to walk away. And what I would say as a follower of Jesus is that we should anticipate the desire and the feeling that we will want to walk away at some point. And I want to bring our attention to the fact that the people that walk away from Jesus in John 6, it's not just people in the crowd. Did you notice how John in two occasions points out that it's disciples that walk away? It's not just people who are in the crowd, the bystanders. It is disciples that walk away. Look look at verses 66 and 67. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? These are people who have been following Jesus for some time. These are people who have been learning from Jesus, who have been talking with Jesus, have probably traveled with Jesus to some degree, and all of a sudden they give up, they walk away, and they never return. These aren't just superficial, nominal people in the crowd. These were disciples. And so just imagine for a moment how Jesus felt. Yes, he's the son of God, whose identity is not predicated on how many followers he has, but he's still human. And so yes, he, like, like in one sense, like he is divine. He knew this was coming. But Jesus isn't some kind of modern day social media influencer who rises and falls based on his likes and subscriptions, right? Like th- This isn't how we should view Jesus. Like He's desperate for followers, right? This is not how we should view him. But still, he is human. And we have to believe that in his full humanity, that we need not deny, he felt a sense of rejection and betrayal. Now John tells us that that he, he tells us that many disciples left, but we don't know how many. But what we do know is that John records right after that is that Jesus just turns to the twelve. And so again, like at most, it could be that of the crowd of five thousand, he goes from having an influence of five thousand people to now only twelve. Think about what that would do to the, the emotional state of the twelve disciples. Now, the ESV doesn't accurately portray, the ESV is our translation we teach from, it doesn't portray the question Jesus asks because in the original Greek, there's what's referred to, Jesus uses an interrogative participle. Use that one at dinner conversations, a lot of fun. But, but what an interrogative participle is, it's when you're asking a question that you're kind of assuming the answer to. The, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, I think captures it better. It says this, so Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Do you see the difference between that like there's a it, it's like when you know when you grab like your friend's taco and you take a bite out of it like you 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 were done with that right? Like that's kind like you're assuming like you wouldn't take a bite out of it if you knew they were still eating it. Although I do that to my children all the time. But but that's a different story. The point being is that Jesus is asking this question like like hey, you don't want to go too, do you? He's asking it assuming that they will say no, yeah, we're we're staying. He assumes that they will be with him. And so really what this means, what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's asking the disciples a question, not out of desperation, like guys, you're like the last group I've got, but rather he's asking it actually as an opportunity for them to be able to pledge the fullness of their allegiance to Jesus in this moment. It is a gift he is giving them to be devoted to him. It is a crossroads moment for the disciples where they are wrestling with the question, will we go with Jesus when others won't? Now, to put yourself kind of in the sandals, if you will, of the disciples in this moment, just, just try to picture this. You have gone from seeing your rabbi influence a crowd of up to 5,000 people, and now he has a meager following of maybe just 12. And on top of that, those who walked away weren't just the crowd, these were some of your friends. These were people that you, these were your travel companions. Some, I mean, these were close people, and in some cases, it's probably likely that some of them were family members to the twelve. And on top of that, the disciples that walked away did so in a very public manner. And so now the pressure is fully upon the twelve. What will they do? What, how will they respond to this kind of hidden camera social experiment, if you will? Will they go along with the crowd? Will they go with Jesus when others won't? And I think we need to be, so as we bring again this, this first century text of the 21st century, I think a question that we need to ask ourselves and to be honest with is this, what makes us want to walk away? Which is a little bit different from just the offensive question. But what is the thing that is like, we're at this point, that this precipice of like, do I just kind of give in to, to unbelief and walk away? And I think we need to be honest with ourselves because in, in, my, in my years of ministry, I've journeyed with people who either for some reason in their spiritual formation were taught either explicitly or implicitly, you cannot voice doubts or questions about your faith. If you do, that is the slippery slope towards apostasy and becoming reprobate and becoming somebody who's going to hell. Like, and I believe that we have the sense that like I have to have like unquestionable faith and, and never have any sense of question or doubt whatsoever. Those people have never read the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is filled with people who are wrestling with questions of God. Now, again, this may sound like a depressing question. What makes you want to wait? But I think it is actually a very appropriate and necessary discipleship question. What makes us want to walk away? The only thing worse than wanting to walk away from Jesus is trying to bury the feeling that we want to walk away from Jesus, hoping that it just goes away. And I believe that if we don't face it and name it, it can have a power over us that we don't fully realize. If we don't name what makes us want to walk away from Jesus, we will find ourselves going down the path of having an obligatory faith, like just a faith that we have for faith's sake, or we will find ourselves having an embittered faith. And I think we have to be honest in naming that question, what makes us want to walk away And again, I think we feel as though it's a slippery slope that leads us away from Jesus, but to the contrary, if we never face these moments, if we never ask ourselves and are honest with why we are tempted to walk away, then we are either not following Jesus or we are trying to hide from Jesus and neither are good options. But more importantly, what I would say to that, if you're at a place where you feel tempted to walk away from Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus is love for you And his commitment to you, his devotion to you as a covenantal God is strong enough to handle your questions, your doubts, and your objections. Or maybe they're not yours. And and sometimes this is where there's even more pain. Maybe the questions and doubts and skepticism you have, maybe they're not yours, but they're the doubts and questions and objections of a loved one. That there's somebody in your life who is tempted to walk away, who has walked away, And sometimes that can even be more painful seeing someone you love walk away from the faith. And so what I would say to you in these moments, my encouragement to us is that we would be a people who are able to honestly voice our questions, our doubts, our skepticisms and objections to God in prayer. Again, the book of Psalms is filled with God's people speaking back to him saying, God, where are you? I don't believe. I remember hearing somebody once say that if that if you want to look for an argument against the existence of God, just look to the book of Psalms because they're almost all in there. Because the psalms are just crying out, how on earth could you allow this to happen? Where are you in my time of despair? How could you possibly be good? And so we should cry out with an honest voice in prayer, but secondly, we should also we should also be willing to share in trusted Christian community. Be willing to do that with people that you trust. But I would also say explore, do do further learning. You are not the only or the first person in human history to have the question or the feeling in your mind and heart that makes you want to walk away from Jesus. And, And there's many, obviously, resources I could recommend, but one I would commend to you is a book called Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin where she she kind of phrases and sets up for us various reasons why people walk away from the faith. In fact, she has a teenage version that is absolutely phenomenal. Ten questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity. I would recommend that to you. Don't allow these questions to stay um, in silence. Now, if I can speak candidly, there are times when I want to walk away from the faith. There are times I have felt that. And, and if I'm really honest, the times where I have felt the temptation to walk away the most has been around the division in the church. When I see people in the church who, are, who, who have a unity in Christ and are divided over some, some line, whatever it is, take your pick. When you see people in the church who are allowing themselves to be divided over superficial, secondary things, or allowing themselves to be divided on things that should be obvious to the people of Jesus. And in those moments, that, that is when I'm the most tempted to want to walk away and give up on it all. And as much as I, as I try to kind of move past it or kind of, like, kind of create some willpower to move forward, I can't shake that feeling of like, why is this happening? And so, so here's my question. So, so what do I do in those moments? What do you do in those moments when you are tempted to walk away? And what do we do as a church family? What, what, what do our people do in these moments when we are tempted to walk away? We've seen that Jesus will offend us. And we see that we will want to walk away. But where will we go? And this is where we go. In these moments where I feel overwhelmed by cynicism, by frustration, by doubt, or whatever it may be, I have routinely come back to the words that Peter and the disciples declared in John chapter six. Where do we go when we are lost? Where do we go when we are confused, when we are hurt, when we are disenchanted, when we are confused, when we're overwhelmed and ready to give up? We go to the one that the disciples turn to. We go to the one who is declared the holy one of God who has the words of eternal life. Amen? Amen. This is not just a moment where the disciples are like, well, you're the best option we have. And so it is a moment for us, it is a moment for the disciples and a moment for us to realize that in these moments of wanting to give up, the question is to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In this moment when so many others are offended by Jesus, criticize Jesus and walk away from Jesus, the disciples find themselves in this critical moment of despair that demands a decision. And what do they do? What do they do when all the pressure around them and the pressure in them is tempting them to give up and walk away? They stand together and with one voice answer, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What is it that compels the disciples to forsake all others? What is it that allows the disciples to endure all costs? to to suffer relational fallout and experience social rejection by going with Jesus, it is that he is the only one who has the words of eternal life. It is not just that Jesus has something good and true to say. It is that there is quite literally no one else who has the ability to speak about truth to such a magnitude as he. And it's because there's quite literally no one else who holds the power of life and truth in his hands because Jesus is not simply One whose words reveal life and truth, but whose words are life and truth. Every other religion, every other teacher, every other philosophy, prophet, guru, has at best offered us words that attempt to point to truth and life. But Jesus is the only one who has come claiming and displaying that his words, that he himself is truth and life. And so, friends, the question for us, in light of this, where will we go? The question is this, where else will you go to find truth in life? Where else will you go to find truth in life? In a world where trust in individuals and institutions is just eroded to nothing, where where it's hard to know, like, who is telling the truth and who's on the side of truth, in a time where conspiracy theories abound, in a time where it is hard to understand how even make sense of the hollowness of, like, your truth, whatever that means and how it's left us deluded and depressed because we were never meant to carry the weight of being truth creators in ourselves. Where do we go for truth? And friends, what I hope we would hear, I hope we would hear the words of the disciples echoing throughout the generations and reaching our ears today. To whom shall we go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. I, I, I know that there are so many reasons to be offended by Jesus, to want to walk away from Jesus, but to whom shall we go? He has the words of eternal life. Will we go with Jesus even when he challenges our sensibilities and our sin? Will we go with Jesus when we are feeling tempted to walk away from him? Will we go with Jesus when it means enduring cost? Will we go with Jesus when others won't? The only way that we can answer in the affirmative in this moment is if Jesus is the Holy One of God who has the words of eternal life. But even as I say that, I understand the challenges that that we all face in various ways of stepping forward in faith, either initially or subsequently. I recognize those challenges, and I don't want to minimize them but let us not be naive about the challenge and the faith that is required to take a step back. Yes, it may be difficult to follow Jesus and continue to take one step forward after him, but let us not be naive to the challenge of stepping away from him. Sheldon Van Auken so powerfully declared in his reflections on his own journey from being a a pagan skeptic atheist to a Christian He was led to faith by C.S. Lewis. Listen to how Van Aken says this. The position was not, as I had been comfortably thinking all these months, merely a question of whether I was to accept the Messiah or not. It was a question of whether I was to accept him or reject him. My God, there was a gap behind me too. Perhaps the leap to acceptance was a horrifying gamble, but what of the leap to rejection? There might be no certainty that Christ was God, but by God, there was no certainty that he was not. Friends, I know there are challenges to walk with Jesus. I will not deny that. But I also know that there are challenges that come from walking away from Jesus. And so maybe you aren't sure about Jesus and the question still remains for you, where else will you go? Where else will you turn for truth and life? My hope and my prayer is that we would hear the words of the disciples echoing throughout the generations, reaching our ears today, realizing to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. My hope and prayer is that we would turn to Jesus and walk with him and go with him when others won't. That we would join our sister Mona in her life story where she came to declare these words To whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. Listen to the story of our dear sister.
3: So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I grew up in a Muslim family. Um, many people in Iran are Muslim, but the thing is um, we are Muslim traditionally. So we know God. We know God as a creator. and uh, The one has all the power and uh, can do anything for us. I came here back in, uh, again, 2006, and I hired a lady, Uh, she is the same age as me, and she came around that time. When we were at work, um, many times we would share our story about our past. And she was always talking about Jesus and uh, telling me about her story, how she loved Jesus, how Jesus has been working in her life. And then I I always was telling her about God, that God is our creator, and then we always like to pray to God. Back in 2018, my dad got sick he didn't want to eat he didn't want to talk he didn't he couldn't sleep it was to the point that they were asking me to go back in iran go to visit because uh, we might have to put it in a special care or something like that so i was so sad and worried uh, so my friend Annie, she told me, you know, that Jesus was a healer. We knew Jesus as a prophet. So she told me, uh, Mona, I, I always ask Jesus, and he answered me, let's pray and ask Jesus, are you okay with that? And I gave okay to her. I said, yes, I can do I really want to do anything for my dad that I could. So that's why I start and... Uh, pray morning night every time and then I was just middle of night woke up and then I was saying, uh, Jesus, I don't know you, but my friend Annie uh, say that you are a healer uh, and you can do anything. so I'm asking you please heal my dad. It, it didn't take even a month. I saw him that he is getting better. Uh, he started talking, more comfortable. He started eating, he started sleeping and then this miracle made me to want to know Jesus more. When I started reading Bible, I decided to read the New Testament because we knew about Old Testament. So every night I was reading a couple of pages. As I read it was question for me that who is God and who is Jesus? Because I was always thinking God is a God that can do anything so now who is Jesus and when I was asking my friend um, she was answering me you know they are all one the Father Son and Holy Spirit but I didn't understand that moment one of my favorite books is book of John because it talks for really uh, simple and straight Even his disciple is saying, "Uh, teacher, you are talking to us now very clear. When I saw the first chapter and it said um, uh, about the Word become flesh, that moment, it was the moment that I understand that it was God himself. He came to this world for us. It was just like clear to me, he is God. Jesus is God. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God.
1: Amen. To whom shall we go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. Again, I don't want to minimize or make light of the challenges, the questions, the hurts, the pains that we have that have led us to this point of maybe wanting to walk away from Jesus. I realize that it may be hard for us right now to continue to take those steps forward in following Jesus. Or it may be difficult to even consider following Jesus for the first time. And there may be several reasons causing us to be offended by him, to result in us wanting to walk away. But when we know and believe the power and the love of the Holy One of God, who promises to not walk out on us, that allows us and gives us an ability to stay with him when others won't. And it allows us to have the natural response of saying, to whom shall we go? As a church, as we we prepare to...